Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the new Christopher Nolan film, Tenet. We got an early screening. We went and saw it last night. We are excited to talk about it. Uh, we're also going to take a look at Disney's The New Mutants, because that finally came out. And we also went and saw that. Uh, very exciting week back at the movies. Andy, when was the last time you were at a movie theater? Um, well, actually, not not too long ago. Um, I forgot which one. Oh, yeah, we saw um, Inception we did go uh, the Inception. other week. We, so we have been seeing you know the classics there fairly often. But it's definitely been a while since I've seen something new with a slightly more crowded theater. So that, that was nice. Yeah, I shouldn't laugh. We probably shouldn't be going to the movies. But uh, it is cool to go back. Like, it does, there, there is an energy to it. Um, but obviously, stay safe. Uh, we wore masks as much as we could. We'll talk about them when we get to it. Uh, we need to talk about the passing of Chadwick Boseman. And we're going to do that in the middle of our show. We're not just going to stick that news at the beginning because that was actually a really big story. Uh, so keep an ear out for that. Before we get to all that, we need to talk about some more casual news. Our first story this week. Uh, Andy, you found this headline. What is this? <laughs> What's <is laughs> right. happening here? Right. Uh, so this this is uh, Netflix will make a movie about Martin Shkreli's rare Wu-Tang album, Purchase. Uh, so there's a lot going on here, but... Uh, what what happened is Martin Shkreli, otherwise known as the Farmer Bro, who kind of became infamous for raising the price of a HIV drug from thirteen dollars to over seven hundred, he became the face of kind of like gross uh, like capitalism or or whatever, and he eventually. Uh, ran into some trouble with the feds and is at currently doing seven years of prison for securities fraud. Um, but one of the things he did uh, d- during his timeout was purchase a very rare um, album, one copy album only of the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, he was the sole uh, buyer and bought it for $2 million and uh, it just kind of locked it in, in his room. Like he was, he wasn't allowed to play it. It doesn't release it. But upon, uh, whenever he went to prison, a lot of his things were seized, including this album. So we're not real sure where it's at exactly, but this movie is going to cover this whole incident, Martin Shkreli and buying this really rare Wu-Tang album. Was this all, a, was this all like one big bit by Wu-Tang to get a deal with Netflix? Cause like, this seems to have worked out great. Obviously, you made an album that nobody listened to, but it could be total garbage. For all we know, nobody's heard it. Meanwhile, you're getting a movie deal out of it. I mean, that's uh, well, I don't it was, know. It was bit, you know, it was um, it was up for auction. You know, they didn't just sell it to him directly. He was just happened to be the highest bidder. He did at one point try to resell it on eBay when he was running into some legal trouble and needed funding. Uh, that went nowhere. Um, and like I said, I, th- I think it was eventually seized as part of many of his assets who were seized as part of his securities fraud case. I believe he's supposed to get out in 2023 or so. Really? Okay. Uh, well, you know, he's in like rich kid jail. So like, it's not like real actual county lockup or anything. I'm sure he's playing tennis with, you know, I mean, he's in, he's in with the feds, you know, yeah, uh, Michael, Michael Cohen or somebody. Who, who uh, do you, th- who do you think will play him? Uh, pops I was just to- thinking that who who plays Martin Shkreli? We've got him on on stream. If you're watching live, uh, Topher Grace, Dane DeHaan. I, I don't know. That's, no, a, that's Dane, a good Dane DeHaan probably wouldn't do that. He's he's got he's got that smarmy kind of look to him. Might uh, to- Topher Grace? Is that you said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of real sk- skinny. Uh, white actor is that yeah right uh, just look really really smug and smarmy yeah, apparently after uh, the 2016 election he streamed the intro to the album in celebration of the results uh that's that's about it in 2018 a federal court sees the album so i guess right i guess the movie will end with it sitting in a in a in a yeah county lockup somewhere yeah um, with top men 
top what men, are, top, li- top men yeah. are listening to Wu-Tang right now. Yes, uh, our fans of Raiders of the Lost Ark understand that reference. Top men. Uh, very exciting, I guess. Uh, you know, this is the amazing thing about streaming services. They can make movies about anything. You can make a movie about an, about an inanimate object, literally, about an album that hasn't actually done anything. I'm interested to see how it goes, right? How it changes hands. It'd be a bit of a bit of a MacGuffin picture, I guess. It's like it's like, it's like if Pulp Fiction was about the briefcase and not about the journey to get not the about briefcase. The like right. it's, it just kind of follows follows the, the, the trail, I suppose. So well, and and while Martin Shkreli is, a, I mean, he's a pretty despicable character. It is very interesting because he went from this uh, very kind of overconfident, um, you know, a little bit like a Wolf of Wall Street uh, kind of character. Like he he was. Uh, you know, very young and very successful in his, uh, uh, he, he started like a pharmaceutical company and was also a hedge fund manager in like his late twenties, early thirties was kind of the poster child. And he was very successful and he was like just winning. Uh, but then I said, but then he got in trouble with the feds for securities fraud. Also had to go to prison early because of threats made against a uh, former first lady, Hillary Clinton. And, and I mean, like, like the, the script writes itself. Like he, he's, he's kind of a terrible character, but he's hit on all these like weird highlights, but it also like, you know, it's the rise and fall of the man. Yeah. He, he's, he, it's a bit like, like Roger Stone, right? Like he, he'd rather be infamous than not famous at all, but he wears all these kooky outfits and does strange things. So you can't help but kind of stare at the guy. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it'd be good. I guess, I guess we'll find out. Um, you know, this this and other things Netflix are doing always make for good news. Our next story, Mulan is releasing to all Disney Plus subscribers for free in December. This obviously runs counter to the news that Mulan will be available, uh, what, this weekend, right? This for, week, that's right. This Friday. For $30 on Disney Plus for, for subscribers. You can pay $30 to watch Mulan or you can wait 90 days and watch it for free on the platform. Uh, this is a surprise, I think, to some people, but we talked about this when they announced that Mulan was going to cost $30, that inevitably it would be coming to Disney Plus for free, so I guess this is not too much of a surprise to us. What do you think about this? Well, you're exactly right. We were wondering, what is their strategy going to be? What When are they going to release it to the public? They have to at some point. It can't just be perpetually a rental. So we were speculating, is it going to be one month, two months, longer, six months? Um, so it looks like the magic number is three, which is traditionally what the release window has been. It has been 90 days from theatrical release to home video. This is kind of in, in between because it won't be available to most of most subscribers until december but if you want to pay those 30 bucks between now and then and and that's gonna be interesting because you might have a whole bunch of people pay for it now and then maybe in a month you know you'll get more or less we really don't know how it's going to turn out this is a big experiment we're going to see bold cinema will be paying the 30 dollars yes so so Uh. we can see and review it yeah, we talked about it before the show. Andy and I are both going to pony up and watch this for next week. So uh, if you if you have the means, please please subscribe we're start to go, your boys we're, and support we're the podcast. Start a GoFundMe. God, so rate, we, rate so review the show so we can it. get some love for what we're about to do. Yeah, uh, this this frustrates me uh, for a handful of reasons. One. Because, like, Disney's just going against the grain again, right? Like, they, they've done this in the past with a lot of their home video releases. They always have weird policies. They always do it strange. They couldn't just put out VHSs back in the 90s. They had to have these gigantic jewel cases that took up a bunch of room on the shelf. They can't just put their movies in stores. They have to put them in the Disney vault. And now, with Mulan, you have to pay more than the asking price for any other company to watch at home. 
and it'll be available anyway shortly after. Like, if Disney's marketing strategy here is to convince people not to buy Mulan on Disney+, Plus, they're doing a great job. Because, like, if we weren't doing this show, I would totally be passing this one up. Uh. Yes, yeah, same here. And people pointed that out online. They said, you know, why are they saying anything as a business strategy? They could just, you know, keep they could just keep it to themselves, um, not say anything about the release, and have more, you know more people buy it. Um, but I, I think they they want to. A, I think they still want to use it to like get more subscribers come December, and also I, I think it's just a it's like a showing of goodwill towards everyone involved, theaters, customers. Uh, consumer subscribers everyone so you know if you if you basically they're giving us more choice if you want to see it friday you can pony up and see it if you don't want to pay you can wait till december yeah uh you know this article mentions towards the bottom that this is one big grand experiment right just like a lot of things that have been happening this summer at the box office uh so nobody really knows whether it's going to work or not whether it will truly be successful I mean, it's up to Disney, right? I, I, I'm sure they're not going to publish these numbers to let us know how it's doing, but I, I I can't imagine this is like a brilliant strategy for them. Somebody has to know going in, hey, this probably isn't the best course of action. I, I don't know why they're doing it this way, but yeah, it is an experiment. Who knows? Maybe they'll maybe they'll turn a killing and it'll work. Um, I'm not that idyllic though, but we will be watching it for the show. So yeah, yeah. we we know you know just like we we had some renters remorse when we watched uh, King of Staten Island and Scoob because we we paid for those and then six I, weeks I had renters remorse when I watched <laughs> Scoob. Yeah. You did not watch Scoob. I had renters remorse for you. Oh, okay, <laughs> but right. we uh, you know it, it was kind of, it stung a little bit to see something that was kind of okay. You could both okay films and then for to see it six weeks later the fact that it's going to be a full 90 days i think helps a little bit um but i think it still might sting in the end but at the same time it looks really good it looks fantastic it it, to me it looks better than a lot of their other live action remakes that they've done so i am genuinely excited to see it yeah me i mean (laughs) i guess i guess i'm excited to see it i was more excited to see it but news like this really knocks me off man that and new mutants but that we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute that's totally unrelated to this i just man disney's making some weird moves lately it's a good thing theaters are opening back up so they can get back on track i think and our last story this week speaking of theaters opening up maryland movie theaters are cleared to reopen in time for tenant uh this is interesting a lot of movie theaters on the east and west coast have not been opening here in america because of coronavirus and safety measures well it turns out tenant is opening back up theaters are starting to make money again and suddenly these measures are are conveniently not not in a spot where they're as important and we can start opening some theaters again they're not opening everywhere andy knows the story more than me andy is is there anything i'm missing here so theaters in maryland new jersey and um some in california are going to be opening this friday specifically for tenant but it's going to be on a very very limited basis it's going to be at 25% 25% for most, it's not even 50%, 25% or 100 to 150 people per uh, per theater. So it's going to be pretty small um, percentage. And still, you're missing the big markets like New York and LA. All of New York State is not open. Um, so it, it's helping, like I said, they're opening for, for tenant, but not, um, not fully, not 50%, not 100%. You know, I I hope this is a good thing. Obviously, I don't know anything about 
pandemic numbers there or how things are looking in those areas. So for all I know, this is not great for them. But having gone to the theater, I can tell you it does feel good to go back, right? That's something people seek in, in times of tribulation. You want a little bit of normalcy. It's why when things like sports started shutting down, it really felt weird because suddenly it's not normal to not have sports. It's not normal to not have movies at the summer box office. And it makes a pandemic feel that much more oppressive because we don't have the comforts we're used to. Going back to the theater's nice. It feels good. And that's not just because I do a movie podcast. It feels good to go to the theater and get your popcorn and, and hang out in your seat and, and watch the film. Like, I, I miss doing that stuff. So I hope people in Maryland and New Jersey and San Diego can get, take advantage of that in a safe capacity. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. People want to get back to the theaters and there's finally something worth going to see because that was the whole problem all summer is, you know, sure, theaters are open, at least in a limited capacity, but there was nothing to see besides the classics. And once you saw them, well, I mean, we joked about seeing Indiana Jones three or four times, but really once you've seen one of those classics once, you're not going to keep going back to see Jurassic Park, for instance. <laughs> no, that's usually one-time admission only. And even then, you're going to pick and choose from what's available. I mean, we only picked a few films to go see out of the weeks that theaters have been open here. And there's been some good stuff out, but it takes it takes some serious staying power to draw you back to the theater. And the idea is that Tenet may be that film. And with that being said, we should probably jump into the review. First things first, Andy, I can't believe we saw this thing this thing early like this was definitely supposed to be a review for next week um how did how did this happen i am so excited that, that we got to see because we never get to see anything never early, early as much <laughs> as i've tried to swindle my way into free, free tickets sure. we never get to see anything early but um they were running a promotional early screenings on uh what is it monday and tuesday monday, monday tuesday, tuesday and wednesday uh, right. all th three so days before the film <laughs> so basically crazy. three three days all week uh, they've been running some early screening uh which is usually an effort to get the buzz out about the film get the word out uh so we snagged a couple of, of tickets and saw it last night on a monday Yes, we did. I'm excited to talk about it. So without further ado, let me jump right into the summary. This is Christopher Nolan's Tenet. This reversing the flow of time. Doesn't us being here now mean it never happened. So, Tenet is a difficult film to talk about because I don't want to give too much of the plot away. So to keep it as simple as I can, I'm going to lean, I'm going to lift a little off the IMDb summary and say this. John David Washington plays a protagonist uh, recently released from the CIA and... Uh, um, acquired to help uh, stop a, a, a rogue organization from... Uh, something worse than the apocalypse <laughs> he's mm -hmm. given he's given a word uh tenet and 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 a clue as to where to go and with the help of uh fellow compatriots uh played by robert pattinson and elizabeth debicki he is challenged with saving reality as we know it um it is a two and a half hour action film from christopher nolan the director of inception interstellar Dunkirk, The Dark Knight, The Prestige, and all other kinds of giant blockbuster mind-bending films. It has a huge budget. It has a huge, huge plot. It has the huge task of explaining some very difficult concepts to its audience members. 
Andy, this is going to be a fun one. I don't know how exactly we're going to talk about this, um, but we're not going to give a lot away because I think... You can't. Yeah, right. And the fresher you go into this movie, the better. I I think that's the way it's meant to be seen. So with that understanding, Andy, what did you think of Tenet? Um, Well, first of all, I've been incredibly excited to see this. Uh, We haven't seen a Christopher Nolan movie in three years since um, 2017's Dunkirk. Uh, so we're excited to, to see Tenet and, and again it was supposed to be a big summer tent pole and had to be delayed And but so we're glad to see it this is really incredible filmmaking on some levels but it does have some pretty big glaring issues which is usually not, not an issue for um, Christopher Nolan usually he, he's a solid filmmaker all the way around is a really incredible storyteller in this film he seems to have become kind of obsessed with the action and with the uh, complicated uh, plot uh, and premise and we, we kind of we have some issues to address but overall I, I really did like it I did have some really incredible action and like I said it was really great to get in the theater but it does have some some issues too yeah I I This film is stunning for a lot of reasons. Um, Not only, like you said, is it Christopher Nolan's latest film since 2017's Dunkirk, but also it's a return to form for his ability to tell a story in a fictional universe. Dunkirk was a historical fiction, right? Everything's pretty rude in reality. There's some elements of nonlinear storytelling, which are his like bread and butter when it comes to making action films, but nothing too, too weird for him. It's, it's pretty normal. Before that we had interstellar, which had elements of time travel and time distortion, right? And the way our astronauts would go down to a planet and come back up and time would have passed out of their realm of whatever and wormholes. So inception had a lot of world bending and this idea of shifting realities. Tenet has to is in that vein, right? It has this element of inversion, which is seen in the trailer, this idea that that an object can travel backwards through time, even though it is moving forward in a linear state right. as we know it. <laughs> uh, a gun can catch a bullet instead of shoot it. Um, it's 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 real weird, and the trailer loosely explains this, and, and that is kind of the paintbrush with which we are attacking this, this Jackson Pollock of a painting of a film. Uh, Christopher Nolan, I think, does a fantastic job of telling stories like this. The thing is, this one might be his, like, Icarus too close to the sun moment. It might be too much. Because it is very cool, and I love the concept, but, oh my god, does it get nuts. Like, (laughs) dude, it goes so far over what I expected, and it, it, it... it really takes this concept and turns it up to freaking 11 and you 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 are hanging on for dear life by the end of the movie it's crazy yeah it's like in uh, oh god there's so much i want to say I know. Uh, so first of all the the trailer uh, the movie doesn't explain inversion any better than the trailer so if you've seen the trailer you you've seen like the the Andy, concept come on, don't, don't give anything away we talked about this, but, <laughs> you've yeah, seen no, that's about it yeah like, like if I tried to explain things to you, it would only make it more confusing. Um, you know, a little bit like in, when Inception ca- came out, it was kind of spoiler proof because you wouldn't be able to explain anything out with, without another hour's worth of a, uh, uh, explanation. Um, Christopher Nolan does succeed in bringing you incredible experiences and scenes, bringing things to the screen that you have not seen before, particularly with, with the action, particularly with, with scale. Like he uses real vehicles, real props, real, real extras. Um, and so he, he definitely grounds his films. And, and that's what we get a lot of in this movie. It is 
the, the, it is a little bit too complicated, I, I think. Um, maybe, maybe, it, uh, maybe it's too complicated. And I've been doing some homework, and it's it's a really cool idea, and there's some real like interesting science stuff um, behind it as scientific theory that that it's based on. But um, it might be too much, and, and it might be frankly just too complicated for most people to a point that it's not enjoyable. Right. Um, so let's 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 jump into kind of our actors a little bit let's jump into our characters a little bit we're not going to talk a whole lot about plot because again the less you know going in i think the better that's how this movie is intended to be seen so that's where we're going to leave you um our main lead john david washington this is his first big film following black klansman spike lee film which we both really enjoyed from 2018 He's got a big task in this movie. He's now holding up a very, very expensive Warner Brothers blockbuster. Uh, he he is this kind of, uh, uh, I mean, uh, frankly, man with no name, uh, almost like a Western, right? A wanderer, really, uh, who is is a, a basically an elite agent in the CIA who is who is hired or, or or drafted, I should say, to to take on this this very supernatural idea of inversion through this through these items these, these elements these bullets that, that that are inverted and travel backwards and these pieces of machinery and, and the question that's naturally asked is where are these things coming from right how 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 does something get inverted who's making it what can you do with it what power does that have and this leads him into this rabbit hole of arms dealing and espionage that we know Christopher Nolan for like the like the back of his hand. I mean, Inception had a lot of that stuff, right? Big businesses and corporations moving millions of dollars and taking us, the audience, to exotic locations and faraway places with big skyscrapers and unique architecture to craft these interesting stories. And he does, I think, a pretty fantastic job of that. Being his second big picture, uh, he's got a lot to do. I mean, he's got to deliver a lot of lines very quickly, especially in the opening, in the first act, in which we are like screaming through dialogue and scenes to get to the next point, to move the plot along, to explain more about what's happening. And he does a good job. He's, he's got a lot of emotion in, in the face, especially around his eyes. And I wonder if he gets that from his dad, Denzel Washington. There are some points where... His line reads may fall a bit flat, but he's a young actor, and I don't hold that against him, and it feels pretty natural for a character who's supposed to be kind of cold, a CIA agent, right? I, I, I think he does a fine job. Robert Pattinson enjoyed a lot as Neil. He's fantastic, this kind of sidekick character to John David Washington that just gets sucked into this. Uh, and Elizabeth Debicki plays a... Oh, pause the trailer there. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki plays a... Well, uh, she she's a Wind, she's a concerned Torrance. woman who's tangled up in these events. I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's the best way to explain it. Um, so just to touch a little bit on what you said, this is definitely in like the spy genre. So think of films like obviously James Bond or Mission Impossible. This is kind of Chris Nolan's take on it, and and John David Washington, as you said, is our kind of CIA agent. What he does differently than those films is there's less style and it's much more grounded. It, you know, he doesn't have fancy gadgets or, you know, you know, he doesn't have guns that shoot out of his car, things like that, that you would see, you know, the stunts are very grounded and very real. Um, but as far as character, this is, I think, one of the kind of flaws uh, of the film. We don't get really deep characters that that we've gotten to know in some of his other films, um, like, of course, in Inception or um, I always think of The, the Prestige one of my absolute favorites it's a little bit two-dimensional all all our characters there i mean they're likable yeah, they're right. fun but 
there's not a lot to him. Our, our main character, um, played by John David Washington, he, like we don't get to, to know a ton about him. He doesn't have like anything that he's really struggling with, like the way in Inception, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character's Cobb is dealing with the death of his wife. He de- he's kind of lacking this kind of backstory or internal struggle. He's just kind of like the James Bond guy guy he just he's he's getting the job done and that kind of goes for all our characters and and i i've said this i said this last week when we talked about inception about there not being enough of women in in chris nolan's films uh we kind of get that problem in here as well elizabeth debicki is just kind of the uh damsel in distress uh she complains a lot about her child uh not complains is, is concerned for her child and and she's just kind of helpless though the whole movie and it, it's really disappointing to see that because I, I really expected her to have a lot more kind of agency uh in the film and i i think uh he's really missed the boat on character development in this film yeah um our characters they, they things move incredibly fast think think of something like a james bond film like the more recent ones especially starring starring um uh god uh daniel craig uh they're they're films that like they will race through exposition in scenes when james bond is in like a fancy bar in hong kong talking to a woman in a red dress right and they're talking about like arms dealing and who's been trading things but totally they're just sitting there in a bar like talking even though like these concepts are very large this movie has that same feeling especially when we're trying to uncover what this organization is about where things are headed uh, uh where things are coming from it's very similar in that way so in a lot of ways this does have like a james bond feel which i think is good in in, in a way i think christopher nolan doing like a james bond kind of movie feels really good very very much in his wheelhouse so i so i don't mind that at all but yes, unfortunately, it, it, it lacks the ability for our characters to kind of stretch and breathe a whole lot. Uh, I think Robert Pattinson has one of the bigger opportunities to do this because he's not the main character. He's kind of this side character that just kind of comes in and out at will. And he has a little bit more flair, a little bit more panache. He doesn't have to be the foundation, which the audience is building everything on. Elizabeth Debicki's kind of in the same place. Um John David he's, Washington, man, he's just he's just moving through stuff. And and our characters aren't doing human things like sleeping or eating or texting. Like they that never happens in this movie. It's just it's just bit to bit, scene to scene. Like we're going from this section to this section to this location to this location. But that's that's how he does his films. They didn't do that in Interstellar either, and nobody thought that was strange. But in this movie, it feels so much larger because of the concepts that are getting introduced when it comes to inversion and this idea of like physical limitation. Yeah. I, I did listen to a Christopher Nolan interview and, you know, he, he talked about, uh, you know, inception is taking the heist genre to talk about like the world of dreams mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And this is taking the spy espionage genre to talk about basically time and manipulation. I don't want to say time travel, but time, which is a big theme in in all of Nolan's work. Right. So we should probably start to talk about that. I think that's the next place to go. Before we do, (laughs) let's talk about the action. No, no, no. We should talk about the time. That makes the most sense. So... Uh, the, because it's a bit of a chicken and egg. The, the, the action causes the time effects. The time effects cause the action effects. Uh, it's a whole thing. So, uh, as far as the special effects go and this inversion, you see it a bit in the trailer. If you're watching the live stream on Facebook, you can see it right now. Actually, this idea that, that objects are present in our timeline but are moving backwards in their own 
personal timeline. They show this with a bullet that, that John David Washington basically catches out of a wall when he pulls the trigger because the bullet is moving backwards in time, even though it is in our timeline going forward. Inversion is what they call it. It is very complicated, and if you think that if you think that explanation is complicated, the movie does not do a whole lot more to explain <laughs> yeah. it to you. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much what they tell you, and you have to just start drawing conclusions for yourself. Andy, what do you think about this? So, it, at its heart, it's a time travel movie, but not in the traditional sense. You know, you think of something like Back to the Future, where Marty McFly goes back in time to change something, and then go back to the the present. Um, that's kind of what ha- what happens in most time travel movies. You're going to the past to change some event that will affect the future. In this, you 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 go backward through time, but you don't actually you're not actually changing any anything. You're making sure that the future that's supposed to happen happens. It's it's basically like two sides of of a coin. Um, in a way, it's really hard to explain. But uh, people have to come from the the past slash present and the future, and they meet at certain points to make sure certain events happen a certain way. And they have to... So you kind of have to do almost like a U-turn is the way I'm thinking. If you have two cars going down the road and one of them does a U-turn, that's a little bit uh, how how I've been thinking about it. Um, so it, it's, it, it's... It's inherently confusing, but Andy, yeah, you're doing it, a fine job. It's, it's really... It's a really impressive concept, but this this idea that things are moving backwards, and it, it, it creates some incredible, incredible set pieces and action. There, there's a big car chase scene. Uh, Remind me of like you know the those uh, the chasing from the Matrix almost, where there's just all this cool car stuff ha- happening. Um, like I said, gun gunfights, fist fights. Um, you know, I, and, and I and I read about. Um, you know, Chris Nolan having some of his like extras and and uh, the core the fight choreography actually be done in reverse, mm-hmm. not not done forward and and reverse, but literally just fought in reverse to get the uh, the the effect right. So it's it's a really high concept sci fi premise. It might be a little bit too high concept, right? And we'll talk about that in a second. Fundamentally, what's what's happening is this: we understand the world around us with a set of rules and limitations, and there are objects in the world of Tenet that do not follow those rules, and that makes for interesting, tense action scenes because one part of our part of the part of the characters in the film are using things that we know. You fire a gun, and a bullet comes out and hits something, but the other part there's other characters who are using objects we don't understand we don't know what will happen when you fire that gun versus that one so when you have these characters fighting when you have car chase sequences where things aren't quite what they seem you get interesting tension because in our world our characters are just as fragile as they've always been but within the world of tenet they are forced to deal with ideas they don't understand and that, in a way, is what works about these crazy physics ideas of, of inversion. Because when you're watching an action scene and you're thinking, I don't know what's going to happen next, the characters in the film don't either. And that brings you into it with them because you feel the tension that they feel. You don't know exactly how <laughs> things are going to go. And you can just see the breadcrumbs of what will happen soon based on, I don't know, a, a bullet hole or weird whatever. Um and it's it's really baffling. And in that way, I think the tension works well. I think it still functions as proper action, and that serves as a great through line for for these wonderful set pieces. And we should start talking about the action proper. Do you wanna you wanna jump into that? 
Yeah, so we get some pretty massive set pieces here. Um, we know that Chris Nolan likes to destroy things and blow things up. As we've seen in the trailer, he crashes a 747 in, into an airport uh, for reasons we won't go into. That scene, we, we've seen part of it in the trailer. It is so much bigger <laughs> um, when it actually happens. And th- and that's part of um, a, a larger set piece as, as well involving that airport. But there's also an incredible car chase scene. There's an incredible kind of heist that happens on, on the road as well. There's um, kind of some... There's other people besides John David Washington that are involved in this tenet or this kind of fight with people from the, from the future moving backwards. So we eventually get some pretty big set pieces. And if particularly if you've seen the most recent final trailer, the third trailer, that, that one sadly gives a lot of weight. I didn't actually watch that until after I saw the movie. And I'm so glad that I didn't because there's a lot yeah. of really great scenes yeah, that I'm are not- kind, of, kind of given away. Yeah, I, I intentionally chose not to run it here on stream. I've seen it. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. It gives away more. You don't. This trailer does a fine job presenting just enough information for tone without giving anything really away. So, but it's fine. Yeah. Um. Th- yeah. What it reminded me of, though, is a, like stunts that you would see in a Mission Impossible movie or a James Bond movie. Pro- more probably more Mission Impossible, but even more grounded, even more real. That they're. they're uh, I guess less based on on luck and just you know Christopher Nolan just loves to ground everything and just like the the cars and the vehicles and the people and everything he uses, um, you know it it just adds so much and it looks even more kind of real I guess. Yeah, Christopher Nolan's action is is really an outstanding thing because Christopher Nolan, as he said in interviews, is is kind of a, a just shoot it director. He gives somebody a camera, gives them a couple lenses. They've got the color grading worked out. They're like, hey, go stand over there, shoot this thing, shoot, shoot that thing, film this over here. Like, he's actually really simple in that way. And for action directing, that stuff works great. You don't want it to be overly complicated. You don't want, like, Taken 3 with a 100 jump cuts, like, trying to figure out how Liam Neeson is jumping over a fence. You kind of just want flat action outright. And so when you have these wonderful scenes of car chases on a highway and cars flipping over and gunfights and big action, I mean, buildings exploding and and people storming an orchestra hall with a bunch of uh, hostages in it, all that stuff works out great. Big gunfights. I mean, that that stuff plays awesome, especially when you have a director like Nolan who isn't going to make a ton of cuts. He's just going to show you what's happening and a few scenes and you're on your way to the next. Like that stuff's good. It's rich and it works great when you're wrecking a Boeing 747 into a warehouse and filming the whole thing. You, you get all the goods. You get these great angles. It looks fantastic. What's particularly interesting about Tenet is it's more than that, though. You're not just getting an action scene as we understand it. You're getting things moving backwards through the action scene simultaneously as as it goes forward as we understand it. Somebody's not just shooting a gun in one of these scenes. They're shooting the gun backwards, which I know sounds weird. <laughs> I know on its face sounds strange. But it makes for something that's totally unique that I haven't seen before. and 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 that's... My God, we need more of that in blockbusters, man. In the age of reboots and nostalgia and remakes, Nolan turning out this like gonzo level action (laughs) is outstanding and I love it and I'm all about it. But man, the, the last two acts of this film are a physics lesson, man. And if like if you're not paying attention, like I I I would wager, don't get up and go to the bathroom when you watch this, right? Don't 
so not pay attention. Well, it, it, well it's not going to matter. I mean, you're not you're not going to be able to explain it. Which, which I did the, right. Which I did want to yes. mention. So one of our character tells us, "Don't try to think about it too much." And that's not to dismiss the plausibility of it or the comp, how convoluted it's. It's which he says, "Focus on." the point of inversion is to look at the world in a different way. Look at time in a different way and look at, it's about perspective ultimately. And that's what we end up getting. A lot of our, our big action scenes, we're going to see them from one, one or more points of view. You're going to see an action scene play out multiple, multiple ways. It actually reminds me of Memento a little, uh, a yeah. little bit, but kind of in essentially different flows of time. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is, while I can conceptually think about this, about, you know, an object being able to travel backwards in time, the thing, the challenge to film that and to have to do things backwards, I mean, that I means some of these car changes, that means someone had to drive backwards or to do, like, to make these things, like, incredibly dangerous uh, stunts. So just the 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 logistics of, of getting it on film, this concept is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, and, like, it, it, I think at its... There's moments when it feels like a goofy, like, I don't know, a goofy sci-fi film from the 70s when, like, you'd have a character walking backwards in through a scene, so it looks like they're walking forwards, but things are moving back. Like, the end of, of Weird Al's uh, Amish Paradise, right? That last shot where he's walking backwards, but the world is going forward. In, in a couple of small scenes, it may feel that way a little, but in its best moments, it creates, like, this totally unreal effect that I've never seen. And, like... Man, what what a great time at the movies! That's exactly what we need more of. It's so creative in a way that, that that hasn't been done before, and I really respect it for that. I think this movie needs to be praised not only for its visual effects but for its editing because so much of it feels practical. That's the other thing. Nolan does not do a lot of CGI, so a lot of the stuff, if they could do it in camera, that's how they're doing it. They film it both ways and then string the edits together, which is crazy. Um, and and that makes this feel like a wholly unique thing. The question to ask is Andy, is Tenet too complicated? I think it, I think it definitely is. And I think it might be, um, and it might frustrate some audiences, but like I said, if you think about it more in the, something like the spy genre, mission impossible, James Bond, uh, if you think about it more like that, like, you know, you don't go into James Bond or mission impossible looking for, you know, huge, deep, uh, character, you know, character studies or things like that. You're looking for action. You're looking for fun. You do want to have good characters. Um, so Nolan's just kind of leaning into that genre more than this. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, also, while thinking about this, I kind of came up with a, a little bit better analogy about inversion. Okay. Um, instead of thinking of, you know, a, an object traveling backwards in time, it's really two timelines where every everyone is moving forward and then everyone is also so moving backwards it's not necessary and when you're just seeing one from a different perspective i don't know if that's easier to understand but i think it is more accurate to the film yeah i think that yeah if you have seen it that makes more sense to me but listening to you say it i don't know if anybody's gonna get that <laughs> yeah. but yeah i get where, i get where you're coming from yeah it's, it's just saying something is moving backwards is not quite right because it isn't like that's not necessarily what's happening but i, I, I don't know it it I, i've heard people you know, you know, when Inception came out, I, I was working at the movies when Inception came out a decade ago. And I remember people coming out of that theater like opening night and being like, I didn't get it. It was too confusing. I don't understand. And after seeing Inception for myself, I thought it's not that complicated. Like fundamentally, it all makes sense, especially when you have this convenient idea of, of, of a dream to, to, to hide things in, to mask realities. You can say, well, this doesn't really make sense. 
but it's a dream, right? I mean, when we, when we reviewed Inception last week, I said, hey, there's some things in here that don't work, but it's a dream. It, like, it, it's kind of fine, right? Like, you don't, you don't overthink it. Tenet does not have that luxury. Tenet has to explain everything in, in reality as we understand it. And that's where it gets, that's where I think it might be too complicated. That's where I think it might be too much because at some point you can't even anticipate what's going to happen in a scene anymore. You, you don't, you don't have any frame of reference for how things are going to go because we don't understand the rules of the universe we're in. And that can be frustrating. And at some point in two and a half hours, you might go, okay, you know what? I'm lost. I know I did. And it's okay. The movie pulls you through and it makes it makes many efforts to try to keep you pulling along. But ultimately, it's a film, I think, that demands attention in a second viewing. I think this is a film <laughs> yeah, you need absolutely. to go see twice. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I, think, I think I'll enjoy it even more on on second viewing now that I understand. I mean, same with with in Inception. It, it was much, much better um, on second viewing. Um, also, it just uh, like you said that there's so much going on, and it's it is a little too complicated, I think. But if you just kind of go with it and don't think about it too much, like you said, with Inception, it was complicated. But if you could kind of hang in there for the ride, this. Uh, you're 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 gonna get lost if you think about it too much. And honestly, some people have complained about uh, not being able to hear people talk, um, dialogue not being audible, which is a common complaint in in Chris Nolan. But you got to remember, he's doing this on purpose. If you only understand fifty percent of what characters are saying, that's because he only wants you to understand fifty percent. Um, yeah, you know, because um, there's there's par- parts where characters are talking like qu- very quickly, saying important things, but they have like masks on and they're they're talking through like microphones, and it's real like you're not going to get it all, but that's okay. Like you don't ne- you don't need to. If he wanted you to understand everything, he would put subtitles. He would make sure it was clear enough. But that's not the point. He's not. He doesn't want to spoon feed the audience. Yeah, this is a divisive opinion. Um, going back and looking at review threads last night after we saw it, um, almost. I mean, I'd say probably 50% of the comments I saw were people complaining about the audio. Oh my God, I couldn't hear anything. I wanted to get up and leave because I couldn't understand anything. And you're right. On top of big action explosions and and, and Nolan's uh, penchant for sound mixing where he puts the audio on action way up and the audio on dialogue way down, you're also watching an international espionage film. We're traveling to multiple countries with people speaking in multiple accents on occasion, multiple languages, but you get subtitles for different languages, obviously. Usually in hushed tones, because <laughs> they're being sneaky and quiet. It's hard to hear things in this movie. But, like, listen and, like, look at people's lips as they're saying words, and, like, it comes through. Like, I, I man, I, I'm hard of hearing in one ear, and I was able to get through on this, okay? I would like to watch it with subtitles the second time around, and I've, I'm... Debating whether or not I want to go see this in IMAX for round two or go to somewhere where I can get one of those closed captioning devices and watch it with subtitles. I I probably end up going for IMAX just because I've seen it once already. But there is a lot of dialogue and exposition and that can be frustrating. But you and I were fine with it. Like, I think you can manage. So here here's the way I because as soon as it started, I was like, oh, I'm having trouble here and I'm not understanding. And then I remembered it's Nolan. It doesn't really matter if you if you catch everything. And I kind of relaxed and didn't worry about it. And I just. I got everything that I needed to. I didn't. I definitely didn't get everything, but also I didn't worry about. It. I didn't worry that I was like missing out on on a ton of things. 
Yeah, and and you know, I I embrace the, these long run times in these films. I know some people that's that's a challenge, and normally, being that we go see movies every week, it can be frustrating. But like, man, when I walked into New Mutants, I was like, this is a ninety five minute romp. This will be over in an hour and a half. Obviously, there's not a whole lot here. This one, I was like, I was down for the ride. I could not wait to see where we tumbled down this rabbit hole to see where Christopher Nolan was taking us next. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what's important about it. We should talk about, before we are done, we need to talk about the music. Andy, do you want to you want to talk about this? Real quick, uh, I'll, I'll, let me tee it up for you. Okay. Uh, the music is done by a composer named Ludwig, Ludwig Goransson. Uh, Hans Zimmer was not available for this. He was working on Dune with um uh denis villeneuve so which we also need to talk about in a minute (laughs) yes we need to talk about dune very briefly uh Uh, go ahead yeah oh so yes a great score by ludwig uh goranson um who i haven't heard any of his stuff before but but again it's another kind of minimalist score similar to hans zimmer but also very different an exciting part of i think a big part of what makes the film i went to go listen to it it's not out yet because the movie it had doesn't come out till friday uh but the score is a, a good uh, important part by the way i did want to point out the most unbelievable part of this movie yeah. was the fact that there was a full audience at the opera <laughs> that's like no no that doesn't happen. yeah but they were in, they were in russia and foreign countries i'm sure they sure, sure i'm sure russians go to the opera all the time uh yeah the the score is pretty good ludwig ranson is uh the composer of the creed films creed one and two he also did black panther and most recently he did the mandalorian so we have heard his stuff before but this one's different this is this is unlike those because this has some really brilliant uh, uh, elements of, of reversal in the music. He'll instead of playing a cymbal sound, they'll they'll record it and play it backwards, right? For this element of inversion in the audio, it makes for some really uncanny sounds. It makes for some really unnatural sounding soundtracks, but they keep the beats and the melody consistent enough that it doesn't sound too out of place. It still sounds like a film soundtrack proper. Um, but it sounds otherworldly, which is really effective. And at times, man, like a racing pace, like they, they, they'll have the, they'll just be moving really long, really, really, they'll be moving along really fast in the music to make action feel very tense. And it works really well. Um, I actually really enjoyed the score to this. We need to talk about Kenneth Branagh. Before okay. I debated including him, uh, but we should. He is he's, a prop, prominent actor in this film. We should talk about him. He's the big bad guy. So, like in in any uh, James Bond or Mission Impossible film, you got a big bad guy. He is the one. He's a uh, basically a Russian arms dealer um, who's our antagonist, uh, and uh, he has a very thick Russian accent. Again, he's going to be hard to understand too. I didn't understand a lot of what he said either. Again, doesn't matter. But I think he he does do a, a good job, and you know he's he's worked with Nolan before. Uh, he was in Dunkirk. Um, He's in the film. He's an important part of the the film. I just wanted to t- touch on him. I, I did think he did a, a good job. Yeah, he really did. He's very imposing, and, and he fits he fits surprisingly well into this role of like this this like mega mega wealthy um, arms dealer, like who's who's just not afraid of anything. Um, there's definitely some odd moments with him tonally um, because he's supposed to be hard to read. Uh, you're not really. He's supposed to be one of those. Almost like a Bond villain, right? He's supposed to be a little, little like unexpected. Yeah, a right? li- little might off freak the rails. Out at some point you don't expect it, right? Um, which is good, and ultimately creates for a pretty consistent performance that makes him scary, makes him spooky. You know, when he's in a room with somebody else, you don't quite know what he's going to do, and that's 
very interesting. So I, I think he did a fantastic job. He was really good in this. I, I apologize for not mentioning him earlier. I wasn't sure if... I guess it's not really a spoiler. He's in the trailer, right? We all, we all know what's going on, so yeah. it's fine. Ultimately, yeah, for, for, for a small cast, they do a really fantastic job bringing this together. Even even understanding that they didn't really understand what was happening when they were filming the filming the movie. Um, you know, in interviews, Robert Pattinson, Kenneth Branagh, they've stated, like, they, they weren't even really sure how these concepts work either, how the how these ideas all come together to make a fluid film. But I think just like the actors in like Avengers Endgame, the actors don't necessarily have to see the big picture. As long as they can see their picture well enough to put together a, a, a consistent performance in their character, it's up to the director and the editor to really pull that all in and make it work. And in that way, I think this movie does. I really do. Agreed. So, <laughs> with that being said, Andy, would you recommend Tenet? Yeah, I absolutely would. Uh, big summer blockbuster from our, you know, one of our greatest uh, living directors right now, Chris Nolan. Um, incredible action, incredible sci-fi, incredible concept. Very complicated, very com- convoluted. It it doesn't have the character depth that a, a lot of his other movies have had, and have he's been kind of known for. But I think the spectacle kind of over overshadows that. And th- this movie has been really divisive. Some people have not liked uh, this direction of this film. Other people have loved it. Um, I, but I think it's really incredible. It's a good time at the movies. You're going to see things you've never seen before, which is always what he's trying to do. So, uh, highly recommend. Yeah, I, I would recommend it as well. Um, this movie is challenging, and I think sometimes you need to go to the movies and challenge yourself a little bit. Uh, if you've heard this review and thought to yourself, well, it sounds complex, but maybe maybe they're just being coy because they don't want to give too much of the plot away, or, or well, maybe they just didn't get it, but I'll get it. Go ahead. Go go see it and, and write us in. Email us or comment on Facebook and tell us what, what you thought of this movie and whether or not you got it, because... We're going to go see it again. Uh, I can't wait to go see it again. I almost bought tickets today for for another show this weekend just so I could get another one in um, before the show next week and report on it. I still might. Um, it is a challenging film, and and I think you should challenge yourself because we need more movies like this. We need more movies with like new, original ideas that aren't just some new, like, re, you know, they're not just some newfangled remake of what we've already seen. That's what so many of our summer blockbusters would have been had movies been coming out this summer. This one is different in a wholly unique way. And yes, it might be too much. Nolan may have gone too far, but go see it for yourself. And tell us what you think. That that That's what I think about Tenet. I think it's a really cool movie. I'm glad I watched it. I can't wait to go see it again. You should go see it too. Wow. What a review. Good Lord, Andy. What a movie, <laughs> do we yeah. Do, do we do a good job? I think we might have lost people in there a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. There were a couple times when I was talking and it was like, this is nonsense coming out of my mouth. I sound like a, like a lunatic right now. But I don't know. Uh, we should talk about some news. Uh, normally, this is where we do our segment uh, for the middle of the show, the death of cinema or, or, or trailer park. We talk about new trailers. We're not doing either of those this week. Uh, we have a bit, a bit more of a somber story. Andy, you want to take this one? Uh, yes. Uh, over the weekend, uh, we were very sad to learn that uh, Chadwick Boseman, who of course played Black Panther, um, passed away due to a four-year battle with colon cancer at the age of 43, way too young. Um, and no one knew that, that this was the case. No one knew he was battling cancer, not only for the, for so long, which meant he was actually actively filming multiple films while um, battling cancer. It's really um, incredible, but also really sad that he kind of had to 
or chose to fight this battle on, on his own and not not make it uh, public. Um, but that that happened over the, over the weekend. It's very sad, very you know devastating to everyone. Films of uh, fans of, of film, particularly the Marvel universe. Um, he was the first uh, really prominent black superhero, but black character. Um, so it was r- really sad, and we want we wanted to just you know touch on it, remember him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we wanted to talk about this, and this may not be the longest segment, and it may not have enough meat to be any kind of middle segment in the middle of our show, but we thought, you know what, this is bigger than just, like, a typical news story. Um, there, there's, a, there's a short list of actors and actresses who have who have passed away uh, in the past. At times, it felt untimely. Um that have always, that have shocked the world. Um, the ones I think of are, are people like Heath Ledger, um, maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman, if you're a big fan of, of art house cinema, Robin Williams. And and when I found out what happened to him, to, to, to Chadwick, I, I felt the same way. Like I, this, this feeling of like surprise. Um, and the first thing I said, my mom, my mom told me I drove down to Houston uh, and she said, Hey, we got out of the car. Christine and I, four hours in the car, just got out of the car, got home. She said, Hey, uh, you're not gonna believe it. The, the guy who played back Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman passed away. And I was like, what? She said, yeah. I was like, nah, that can't be real. Fake news. And then I hopped on Twitter and was like, oh my God. Um, this happens every once in a while, right? In in in, in film and television, uh, a celebrity passes away. This one feels different. Uh, I can talk about why that is for me. Andy, you want to take a swing at it for you? Um, it's different, I, I think, because he was just so promising and he was such a, a positive role model Um for for everyone and uh, particularly uh to the black community and it, you know it's a representation is is important and it was really important to see themselves in in a superhero we've talked about that wonder woman being the 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 same kind of thing uh for women so it was it was just really sad and shocking to see this kind of bright and shining star and he'd also played other iconic characters uh, like jesse robinson um James Brown, and there was a there was a I can't remember the judge uh, he played, but he, he had played some of these iconic black roles uh, on his way to to the Marvel films, um, and yeah, just really devastating uh, to be taken so young at the kind of the height of, of his career. Yeah, and and on top of all of those, like he was good. <laughs> like he's one of the, he's one of those actors who lights up the screen. Who's very good. He's very charismatic and confident, and and he feels so honest and down to earth and to take on roles like 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 jackie robinson or or uh, you know t'challa the black panther is is huge um to be able to kind of carry that mantle uh in a way that hasn't been done a whole lot in cinema before especially when it comes to black superheroes is incredibly challenging and he was able to do it with with kind of care and grace that felt so real and genuine and, and and led to people coming up to him in the airport all the time do it doing the wakanda doing forever the, thing. Yeah. To, yeah to a point where he said he started saying in interviews like please stop like it, <laughs> yeah. it is obnoxious like how much you guys do that to me and like any <laughs> he was coming on a late show it's all people were talking about but it was such a it was such a big role and it was so important and it is i think and that's that's why it's frustrating and it's particularly challenging to find out he was diagnosed in 2016, which means he did all of his Marvel roles, uh, starting with Infinity War, right? Uh, starting with Civil War, I think the first the first Marvel film he's in, he had he'd already been diagnosed, and now he's appearing as a superhero, keeping us all under wraps, and now he's doing 
he's walking the red carpet and he's doing interviews and he's doing Make-A-Wish Foundation stuff and going to hospitals and visiting kids who were sick while he's battling this thing on his own. It's it's really eye-opening to see how how people will be, have to deal. Everybody has to deal with their own demons, I guess. And and he had this challenge and and he was able to persevere through that. It's really incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, you know, some people said it, it's really sad that he couldn't be open about it because, you know, it pr- probably would have hurt his career or it just wouldn't have been uh, a good look. And he wanted to have like the, you know, strong, confident uh, look on, on, on through all these movies and, and shows and everything he was doing. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it's sad that he kind of had to battle that privately. It's really amazing that he was able to persevere through that and, and, and continue acting and turning out these incredible performances to also be a hero in a lot of ways, I think, for the black community and representing them as, as this superhero, right? It was so important, especially considering the themes of Black Panther and what's going on with Killmonger in that film. Um, it's right, amazing it- to me that the, he had a circle of family and friends so close that nobody, nobody leaked this. That's also really incredible. Nobody yeah, said Yeah, I, I was like, how did TMZ not... Uh, yeah, right. Uh, how did, how did nobody leak this to the press? How did nobody not take a payoff and, and tell the world what was going on? Nobody did. He, he he fought this in his own way. He did it He did it the way he wanted to. And that's what's so incredible. In, in, the, age, in the age of the information and Twitter, uh, he, he was able to pull that off. It's incredible. It's like a magic trick. Right. And I was, you know, I was thinking about Black Panther, at the, the film itself, and it's it was a really unique film in that it wasn't just a black superhero. It was about, you know, kind of issues of, of the black community. It was you know, about, um, you know, global globalization versus isolation. There were like real stakes in this film and you had, you know, a, a black lead and a black uh, antagonist and, it, you know, all this African inspired uh, dress and customs. And it was, it was, just kind of a, a celebration for the black community, the film itself, not just uh, the Black Panther character, but it is. Um, so it was a really important film, which he led. Right. Um, since he passed uh, on Friday, we've had uh, an outpouring of, of love and support on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. Social media fan art has been going out. Some of it really fantastic. Other a little a little overdone. But I mean, I, I understand grief is a challenging thing. Uh, his, his last tweet uh, from his account uh, explained what happened with a candid photo of him. I can pull it up on the stream right here. Uh, and, and this is now the most liked tweet ever on Twitter, uh, which is crazy. Um, and it's tough, man. Like I, I know a lot of people said, Hey, how am I supposed to tell my, you know, tell, tell, tell my son or daughter, the black Panther is not going to be around anymore. And, and it's not that black Panther won't be around, right? Obviously they will do something with the character and Marvel put out about a four and a half minute tribute to Chad, uh, which is outstanding, by the way, you should totally go watch. It. It's really good. A lot of behind the scenes stuff and interviews and people who really worked with him and, and understood him, I think, um, I think it's challenging because of, of the strides it felt like he made in in bringing being black to the big screen in a way that we haven't really seen before. And and, and watching Tenet, right? Watching Don, John David Washington run around in that film as the protagonist is already one thing. But watching like the trailers in front of Tenet, right? Watching things trailers for things like Candyman or, or watching uh, HBO, Lovecraft Country. Like we are seeing, we are seeing like black black power in film that we haven't seen before ever. I don't think and and. Black Panther was such a big part of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, just ideologically. So, uh, man, really a bummer. Any, any other thoughts on this, Andy? 
Uh, no, it's just All right. it's incredibly yeah. sad the passing of uh, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, it's it's really something. So um, with that, we'll move off onto our next film. Andy's gonna be taking the summary for this one. Andy, please uh, take it away. The New Mutants. This isn't a hospital. It's a cage. So this movie has been long, long gestating. Uh, It was supposed to come out two and a half years ago, spring of 2018. It was uh, pushed back, delayed, had reshoots and more reshoots. And then it was about to come out and then coronavirus hit and delayed even further. It finally, finally has come out. And so we went to see it. We hadn't heard great things, but we wanted to see what this is all about because we've been talking about it for you know, to the better part of two, three years. Um, so the story is it centers on a young, uh, there's a mutant story, X-Men, uh, think X-Men of a young mutant named Danielle Moonstar, um, who wakes up in this hospital, uh, kind of school for mutants. And she meets a couple of other mutants and they kind of make this ragtag group of, uh, you know, think of something in the vein of uh, the Breakfast Club. They don't get along. Uh, they all kind of have past trauma. They're learning to um, control their, their their powers, and they don't. Re- some of them don't even really know what they are. Meanwhile, they're they're being overseen by this really creepy Dr. Reyes played by uh, Alice Braga, um, who's, who's tells them, you know, once you can kind of control yourself, then we'll move on to, to the next school or you can, you can get out of here. But something doesn't seem quite right. They seem to be trapped in this hospital. They, they don't know anyone. They can't get out. They're not getting any answers. Uh, the film also stars, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, um, Charlie Heaton, who, who was of course in Stranger Things, um, and a, a few others. So that's our setup it's much more in the vein of uh it's kind of it's got horror elements it's got like i said some teen breakfast club style elements it reminded me of uh, several other films um it's got a lot of major problems but it does have some good ideas and there are some positive things about the the film and ultimately i think it just it suffers from bad execution so zach what'd you think um new mutants is a disappointing film uh and, and it's <laughs> let me explain it's not disappointing because it's a bad movie. Uh, it's disappointing because somewhere in this mess of what is happening in here, there is probably a very good film. There is a, a version of this script. There's a version of this idea based on obviously a comic book that's probably much better. That was probably really good. This movie has a pretty good cast. It's very intimate. There's only six characters. Um, there's a couple other extras you see on occasion, but otherwise, I mean, that's really our core is six characters. We've got five young mutants and a doctor. These mutants who are discovering their powers, who have these unique abilities. In a lot of ways, this is a, like a, like a, a, another swing at the original X-Men formula, right? These people discovering these powers they have and this supernatural ability to affect the world in an interesting way. You take that, you lock these characters in a small, creepy setting, and you introduce Bloomhouse-like horror elements. This sounds great. Like, what doesn't work about this, right? Like, this could totally work. Not to mention, you've got really great young actors. These aren't just kids from nowhere. You've got Anya Taylor-Joy, you've got Maisie Williams, you've got Charlie Heaton. I mean, Char- this Maisie, seems Maisie like Williams. a home run. Yeah. And it's not. And that's so <laughs> frustrating to me because, like, 
at its core, this movie works. Uh, in fact, I, I would argue if they just put this on streaming, I think it would be doing pretty well right now. I really do. Um, but Disney decided to put this in theaters after it got delayed and again and again and again. At this point, this is a three-year-old film that was shot in 2017. I mean, I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand the marketing behind it. I don't understand why it is out in the format that we have it. It, it feels like there's a – like it, this this – if this was the Justice League, people would be asking for the Snyder Cut. Like, there is a better version of this movie somewhere. And it just never came together. They ran out of money, or Disney bought 20th Century Fox, or somebody somewhere cut off funding and said, you've got, what, two hours of footage? Great, cut it in 95 minutes and make it a movie. It's fine. We'll fix it in post. Um, and it's really frustrating. But I want to talk about what works. I want to talk about what doesn't work. Andy, what's the best place to kick this off? Uh, so let's talk about, about our characters. So our our kind of ragtag crew is made up of uh, uh, Maisie Williams, who plays Rain Sinclair, Anya Taylor, formerly, jo- formerly of uh, Arya Stark from Game of Thrones, right? Anya Taylor yeah. Joy, who we've seen in lots of film, plays Ileana Rasputin, which you yep. couldn't get a more Russian name. That that'd be like calling me John America, <laughs> America or something yeah. like. Yes. As, uh, and she's she's Russian. Uh, Char- like we said, Charlie Heaton, um, and then we have Blue Hunt newcomer uh, who pl- who plays the the lead Daniel Moonstar. Henry Zaga plays a character named Roberto da Costa. And these five, like I said, it it's like Breakfast Club. They're not getting along. They're not friends, but they eventually learn to kind of work together. They all have different, very unique powers. A lot of which you've kind of seen before, so it wasn't like super, you know. Uh, in, engaging, and then you also have um, Ileana, uh, which is a uh, Anya Taylor Joy's character. Her her power seems kind of OP. She can like open dimensions to other worlds and has like an armor on her hand and a sword. I was like that that it seems like you should have got at, gotten out of here a long time ago. Like, um, <laughs> but so we we have this ragtag crew. Um, they're fine. They're, I just don't think they're given very much. Uh, a big problem for me is this setting. They're supposed to be in this alleged hospital. It doesn't look like a hospital, and there's nope. no other staff. There's no other. There's one, literally one doctor. There's like, you know, there's a scene where um, uh, one of the characters says, "Oh, I, I got to do dish duty." And I was like, "For who? There's five other people here." And who's cooking? Yeah, who assigned you to dish duty? What do you have a schedule? Who's <laughs> who, running that? I guess. Yeah. I guess who cooked the food? There's no one here. Like, there's um. So it there's not enough people in this film to make it look like they're at a hospital. Like at no point did I, did did it even look, or would you even think that they, they would be in this setting? And maybe that was like a budgetary issue, but it, it, it really, it's one of the many things that just doesn't work. Yeah. So there's (laughs) this, this hospital, this setting we're in, I'll talk about the characters in a minute. Milbury hospital is what it's called. Um, We don't know where it is. Uh, We don't know what country it's in. We don't know. We don't, we don't, we, we don't get any of that. We don't get any of that setting. Uh, our character basically just our, our main character essentially wakes up at this at the wakes up at this hospital in the beginning of the film. Uh, our one doctor explains, "Hey, you're here because this is where mutants go, and you have a gift. So you're here until we release you, and we know you're safe to the world." That's that's really what we get. This 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 hospital like does not look like a hospital at all, and like on the inside, it, it looks more like a prison, which I guess is the point. Yeah. But like from the exterior shots, it is so clearly not a hospital. Like there there's there's one shot where a character's up in like this clock tower, and like there's a wide, and it looks like they're in a village. There's like multiple <laughs> buildings that run back for like a mile and a half, and we never find out anything about those. 
and, and on top of managing these these five kids who are all running around, these five teenagers who have superpowers and can essentially run around un, unguarded, we have one doctor who's watching them. There's no security. There's no security force. There is no team of, of, of crack doctors or mutants yeah, that take control no of them. No nurses, no orderlies, no staff. Right. That none of that. And, and in a way, that gives us an opportunity to have an intimate story. With only six characters, we have the ability to have our characters feel very strong with their powers, right? Because every one of them has powers that feel super cool um, and makes them feel very, very, very niche as, as these mutant characters that we're now meeting for the first time. And it gives us the ability to learn more about them and who they are. But New Mutants doesn't give our characters a chance to breathe because it feels like it's racing to the ending. Like I said, it feels like it was cut short. It, it feels like in the edit, they thought, you know what? This doesn't make sense. It's confusing. Maybe there's scenes they just didn't get around to shooting. Let's just string it together and we'll kind of just make it work. It's kind of non-linear, but it's fine. And we end up having a lack of establishing shots of setting to understand where we're at, a lack of, of any kind of like semblance of time to understand how long we've been here or when we got here or how long it's been since a previous event happened things feel out of place things 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 don't feel right in the hospital and not because we're in this strange place where horror things are happening because it's just a poorly put together film and i, I don't know why it had to be that way because it feels like there was enough here to make it work but somebody somewhere along the way said hey we need to shift course people aren't going to like this uh, test audiences didn't like this let's Let's just turn it into this quick romp and, and put it out in theaters and it's fine. And that's really disappointing um, because I think this intimate story of mutants like could create a really a, re a really passion passionate fan base right around these five characters. Like you said, the Breakfast Club of Mutants. How does that not work, right? Yeah, especially totally. when you introduce these horror elements that when you start talking about. And these are big stars. It like Maisie Williams. This is this like this was when Game of Thrones was still a popular thing. Yes, it was twenty seventeen. Um, it was hot. It was, yeah. That was the time. Charlie Heaton, same thing from Stranger Things. Anna Taylor Joy. Like th these are hot characters, and you you had a lot. And it, yeah, it's just it's totally <laughs> ruined and wasted. And it, so one thing that gets me is the writing is all over the place. Like sometimes we'll get some good dialogue and good scenes, and they'll talk, be talking about their issues, working through things, and then like t towards the end um, when Ileana kind of you know, kind of goes ham with her power. She d does all these like Arnold Schwarzenegger-esque one-liners that just come out of nowhere. It, it reminds me of something from like an 80s action film where he's, he's like, Ugh. it's like when he kills Sharon Stone in, in Total Recall, he's like, now I asked for a divorce, kind of. <laughs> like there's there all these really bad lines that just come out of nowhere. But it, like I said, it's juxtaposed with some some really sweet moments where the their you know friendships and bonds are being formed and people are talking about problems and working through their issues and then you get that it's just it's it's mind-boggling yeah it, it really is and i don't understand why they couldn't have either put more money into fixing it or just sat sat down with somebody who was like no let's put together something cohesive here i think there has to be enough footage for a good film but like it it feels like it was like it, I, I mean if i didn't know any better i'd say they had a bunch of reshoots to change direction because it didn't feel like it worked. It, it, it's lack of setting indicates like a lack of, of real, really care for how this was going to fit into fit, going to fit into a greater universe. Uh, there's briefly mention of other characters in the X-Men universe here. They mentioned professor Xavier at one point and a school for gifted children and that kind of stuff. Uh, in the credits of the film, there's, there's a bit that mentions footage used from the film Logan, 
which I didn't notice. And Andy was actually able to identify what it. in the film was from that. It. Yeah, I, I had missed that. <laughs> Logan, super fan over here, uh, Doctor Draper. Um, so, so it does fit into a larger universe, but it's like intentionally closed off. There's no post-credit scene. There's no great hint at any kind of sequel. Like it really just feels like they made this thing that was supposed to be a foundation for something greater. And then they just got scared and bailed halfway through. And I don't know if that's because of the Disney acquisition, but as far as I know, this film was basically done when Disney bought it. So it probably hasn't changed a whole lot. Yeah, I was going to say this This movie is so bad, it has footage from another movie in it, um, that, which I, it just sounds like it was for budget reasons uh, more than any, yeah. anything. Uh, yeah, in this... the. Pl- part of the problem is the plot because they're supposed to be trying, trying to, you know, harness their powers and then kind of move into the next school. And like that, the path to that or how that's supposed to happen isn't real clear, you know, what their powers are and how they control them, how they got them is sometimes, sometimes it's, it digs in too much and then not enough. It's just, it's all, Oh, it's just really all over the place. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't take any time to explain anything. Whereas Tenet does the opposite. It almost, explains too much and it starts to confuse you this film doesn't bother there's a great scene when we get a good kind of breakfast club moment right where where uh uh iliana played by anya taylor joy um spikes our doctor's drink or tea or something in the evening and she falls asleep and our care our, our, our teenagers are able to run loose and they're playing music and they're dancing like in breakfast club i mean it's 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 right out of the playbook right they're they're screwing around and one, one of them's drinking and all I could think when she was when 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 her character says, "Oh, I spiked her drink. Now now we can let loose." Great. What did you spike it with? Where did There's you get drugs to spike here. a drink? How did you know that would work? How did you sneak that in? And then they're like drinking. What? Where did you get alcohol? How did you get that? Where did that come from? Our characters have a, a change of clothes. They all have a wardrobe. Who brought these clothes in? Who knows what yeah, sizes they are? Like not none of this is explained. And I'm telling you, I think there's a version of this movie where that was explained, but it was too complicated or too long or didn't test well. And they thought, cut it all. We'll just turn it out. 95 minute romp, whatever. Let's talk about the horror. Right. We need to talk about the horror in this movie. So this is one of the things that I think does work is there are a lot of horror elements. And that's what, that's what was supposed to set this uh, apart from uh, all the other comic book movies. It's like, this is comic books, but with mixed with horror. And we do get kind of these, our characters as they're struggling with, their their powers and their past they kind of uh these manifestations of their past begin to happen and they're they they have to kind of relive some of their nightmares um that some of that stuff is truly scary there's like some boogeyman stuff that's real disturbing and there's lots of other other things that are like proper scary and that is one of the things that works that was like if you if you leaned into the horror more if you had had more of a horror movie um it definitely would have been i think it definitely would have worked better yeah, I was reminded of like it, chapter one. Uh, we have these young characters who are all seeing these visions, uh, and it's unique to each person. And these visions start to bleed over onto themselves. Something at this facility is causing them to see these horrific things. And and one of them sees this horribly burned uh, woman who's like chasing them. Another person sees these these really long, lanky, like Slenderman type characters with these smiley face masks on. Creepy stuff. If you're watching the trailer on the live stream, you can see some of it. Um, but not only is this not really ever explained, but there's not enough of it. And it's not scary enough. The imagery is good. But, like, dial that stuff up. 
crank it, you know? Like, I want to get some good horror. We, we're in the age of Bloomhouse horror. Horror films are like in a renaissance right now. They're doing great. What are we what are we doing wrong here? Like why why didn't they lean into this? Why the, that's what the movie is, right? There's these horror elements to it, and it feels like all of this was toned down. And if somebody said this is too spooky, or or people aren't really gonna like this. Let's let's turn it down. Mark my words. I'm predicting Bloomhouse Pictures will come out with a superhero based horror film <laughs> sometime in the next soon. Like, New, I, I'm telling you, somebody mutants. will rip off this idea and do it better. Because having characters that can fight back against the darkness is neat. That's cool. That's something I haven't seen a whole lot of with these unique powers. You know, that's that's interesting. Well, it's, um, it is, it's like it's Avengers also, horror, and nobody's done it yet. It, I mean, it's cool. Uh, I was going to say, it's also, it's really neat to see just new faces. new Like it says, the new mutants. You know, mutants that have that aren't wolverine and storm and magneto and professor x people that we haven't seen and that can do different things uh you know one of our characters like i said uh ilion is a, l- a little bit op and she, she has like a, a sword and can travel to another dimension uh but then uh Maisie williams is, is kind of like beast uh she kind of turns into like a, a werewolf um one of our other characters is kind of like the human torch or he can, can manipulate fire charlie heaton's character can kind of possess and release energy <clears throat> so we we have some interesting powers and then that's another thing that fails they it never really comes together um as a team to to kind of fight the big bad guys yeah um you seeing that they used footage from the film logan and seeing that this is a modern x-men setting made in the x-men universe of 20th century fox it is hard to deny this idea that Logan was supposed to be the end of a chapter of X-Men and New Mutants in title and in tone is supposed to be a new beginning. It is an intimate tale of these young mutants who are who are learning about themselves and the world they're in and it is completely self-contained. Like, And, and this could have been such a great jumping off point for Disney. It, it really could have been something that feels trendy and new and, and it totally... It totally wasn't and, totally and i'm just bummed i guess the, yeah and ultimately that's why i'm disappointed i'm not disappointed because it's a bad movie i'm disappointed because it could have been a much better film and it isn't and it feels like it's because somebody didn't give it a chance it they didn't give it the fair shake it deserved that's really that's really how i feel well i'm ready for uh, should we talk about really quick before we get to it should we should we discuss the idea of the the prominent same-sex relationship in this film or should we just leave that for people to well, so you've already mentioned it, but yeah, well, well that no, I have, yes. th- there is a step in representation here. Our our main character, um, Danielle, uh, which you can kind of see in the the trailer, it hints at uh, her and Maisie Williams uh, develop a same sex relationship, which is definitely a first I've seen in comic book film. It's very prominent, very prominent. Um, and you know, the idea of this movie getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and delayed and kicked around, it makes you wonder if that's one of the things that scared them, you know, Disney's a very family friendly company. They, they, they have same sex relationships at the end of, at the end of the, the last Jedi, there's two characters in the background. You can barely see kissing. So obviously Disney's cool yeah. with it, but it's weird, man. Like I see that on screen and none of that's, I don't think really indicated in the trailer. I mean, I, I think there's one shot in here that I'm looking at now and I understand that's what's happening, but I didn't know that going in. And in the age of diversity and inclusion, wouldn't that be something you'd want to stand on as a point of pride? Instead, it feels a little bit like 
they're hiding it. And it's I don't like know checking if they a are. box. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe. Uh, so, I don't know. It's also worth mentioning uh, the co-creator of the comic, The New Mutants, uh, came out on Facebook and Twitter uh, the day this film released and said, I had finally seen the finished cut. I didn't have anything really to do with it. Um, he was disappointed to see that they'd whitewashed his cast. Uh, which is disappointing. Two of two of our two of our five are people of color. It's worth mentioning, um, but not as prominently as they were in the f- comic. I think I think one of one of our characters was black in the comic. Uh, um, we don't get that level of diversity here, uh, so it's also been railed on for that. I I mean I wonder if I you look at the broad strokes and if somebody Disney thought this was bad PR, but at the same time, why would they put it in theaters? Um, are they trying to give it? The, the, the breathing room it needs to succeed or are they sticking it in front of Tenet and in front of other movies and hoping they can sneak it by us and nobody will make a big deal about it I think studios I, I think studios know that you gotta have you gotta start putting things in theaters if you're gonna have people come to your blockbuster like like you if you had if you didn't put out anything and then you put out your blockbuster it's gonna get like half the audience if you start churning out some if you start putting something in in theaters it's gonna get people out and comfortable and i think new mutants was just hey we can put this out we can say it's new people can go out and see it we know it's probably gonna be a failure but it'll get people in the mood and in the routine of going to, to the movie so then when we come out with a bigger film we'll actually have an audience that's yeah. my theory. I know. I, I it it feels a little like cannon fodder, and and like I said, it feels like they didn't put the care into this that they needed for this to work. What a disappointing new beginning for what could have been uh, the 20th Century Fox X Men universe. That I assume after this is totally toast. I mean, I I'm I'm bummed. They they, I, they could and honestly, they could make a sequel to this, and I bet it would work. They could make a mini series, and I bet it would work. But they won't. They I might just think. remake it. <laughs> like it's. I mean, we'll like, see. Like at it, at its core, the core idea is great, and the acting is good, and and the characters are good, and I think it works. But like, man, they just totally phoned it in in the worst way. So yeah, that's 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 my that's that's New Mutants. Any other thoughts for recommendations, Andy? I'm ready. Uh, Andy, would you recommend the New Mutants? Overall, no, but I, I, I would say save it for streaming. If, if you're a big Marvel fan, if you're a fan of the X-Men, if you want to check out what this film that's been in development and, you know, been pushed back so much, I, I do think it is worth giving, giving it a watch on streaming if it's something you're already subscribed to once, uh, I guess it'll eventually come to, now probably Hulu, it's probably too adult for Disney+. Plus. Um, but whenever, I think it is worth watching at some point, not buying a ticket for, and it's only, it's short, it's only 90 minutes, uh, so overall, no, don't go see it in theaters, but save it for streaming. Yeah, same boat. Save it for streaming. And honestly, <laughs> I, I and I know I talked talked a big game here. Like this movie could have been better as a streaming film. I think this is great for for ninety minutes on a streaming service. I think this is pretty solid. It's self contained. It's not a big mini series. It's just a thing you can watch with six characters. It's very simple. It's got good action. It's got some decent horror elements. It's got great acting. Uh, I think as a streaming film, this would have done great. I don't know why they wanted to put it in theaters. I know it's not doing great at the box office. Like I, I don't understand the marketing around this one, but I think at its core, there is a good movie here. And I think if you have a streaming service, it will be on Disney Plus more than likely. Give it a shot. Honestly, um, it's really not that bad, but you do not need to go see this movie in theaters. <laughs> like at all. Do not go see Tenet. Like just don't go see Tenet. That, that, that's what you want. <laughs> 
for sure. And with that, uh, that wraps our show. Good Lord. What a week at the movies, Andy. Absolutely. Two, two yeah. in theatrical new films. Who would have thought we would yeah. ever be back here? Who would have thought? Uh, what are we watching next week? We are going to be watching Disney's Mulan, the new live action. For th- you, you can watch it too for the steep, steep price of $30. Yep. Or you can wait uh, 90 days and watch it on December 4th. Uh, so that, that'll be Mulan on Disney+. Plus. And we're also going to be taking a look at I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is the new Charlie Kaufman film that's coming out on Netflix on Friday. Charlie Kaufman, of course, is known for... Uh, uh, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, uh, being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Synecdoche, New York, very, very surrealist films uh, that he's made. And so we're anxious to see what this newest one is uh, that's going to be on Netflix. So those are going to be our two for this week. Yeah, I I, I wish I could tell you um, for my own uh, fiscal responsibility that, that we had figured out some brilliant way to not have to both pay for Mulan, but I think we both are. So... Uh, we're going to take the hit for you out there on the internet. All right. So we will tell you how Mulan is next week. And also I'm thinking of ending things which I'm very excited about. It. I know nobody's heard of, um, but that's some bold cinema. I hope. And Andy and I are missing it. So it'll be good. If you enjoyed the show this week, we do live streams of the episode every Tuesday evening on Facebook at Offscript Film Review. So come follow us over there, like the page, and let us know what you got going on. Maybe fill us in what you've been watching lately or what you thought about Tenet. We'll read our cor- your correspondence on the air. We got Twitter, we got Instagram, and we post our lives to YouTube as well, as well as posting our podcast in audio form to all the usual podcast outlets. So if you have the means, subscribe. It's absolutely free. costs you nothing to support a small podcast like ours. It would mean the world to us. Leave us a rating and review if you can as well. Five stars, please, and just a couple words. It helps us in that uh, great algorithm in the apple sky or whatever. <laughs> That's right. Uh, our website is offscriptfilmreview.com. You can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com to let us know what you think of the show, what movies you want to see, or, uh, you know, just whatever's, whatever's on your mind. And we'll talk about it. And we'll be back next week from Milan. And I'm thinking of ending things from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.